Howdy, everyone. Welcome to Kofefi Break on Unsafe Space. What's today? Friday, October 2nd. Uh, I'm your host, Carter Laren. Carrie is out today, uh, but she will return. She's at a walkaway event. So, um, but don't worry, we have someone I think you're going to love that I'm going to talk to today. Um, as a reminder, if you want to support the show, you can go to unsafespace.com slash donate. Uh, we're also on subscribe store star. You can, uh, if you want to use fiat, you can use subscribe star or PayPal. If you want to use Bitcoin or Ethereum, they're on the website as well. If you don't want to support the show or can't support the show financially, you can like share and subscribe. Um, and Carrie will be mad at me if I don't mention the next book club meeting is October 18th. We're reading screw tape letters. It's short. I haven't even started it. So you got plenty of time. Uh, it's short and sweet and, uh, should be very, should be very easy. So with that, I would like to introduce, um, Sonny Lohman, who I think I know at least one person in chat came from Sonny's channel. So you know who Sonny is. Um, Sonny is a political satirist who contributes regularly for PJ media and whose popular videos can be seen on her YouTube channel, house of Sonny, where it's always Sonny. You can follow her on Twitter at Sonny Lohman. Facebook at Facebook at houseofsunny.tv, YouTube at House of Sunny, and on Instagram at Sunny Loman. I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. In fact, they might be already there. Uh, anyway, welcome, Sunny. Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's start by. Can you just tell? We have in our channel. We've got. I don't know how familiar you are with our show. We've got conservatives, people who still call themselves liberals, some people who call themselves libertarians. <laughs> Uh, a few uh, anarcho-capitalist types, and um, also a mix of Christians and atheists, because Carrie's a Christian uh, who came from the left, and as you know, I've never really been on the left, and I'm an atheist. So um, why don't you tell me about who you are? You have a broad spectrum. Yeah, we got a lot of people, but none of them are woke. That's the the unifying factor <laughs> is they all love the concept of the United States and would like yeah. free speech to continue, basically. Um, yeah. So why don't you tell, tell people a little bit about. Sounds like my you. kind of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so I have a podcast too. And I mean, it kind of sounds like my audience. Um, all, you know, just people who appreciate America. Maybe we have different ideas about how things could be made better or changed or, or whatever, but, um, they're kind of horrified by what's going on here. And, um, but I, uh, yeah, I started out doing YouTube comedy videos, um, mostly satire. I started writing satire. That was way back in 2010. Um, I have a podcast now. There's My comedy videos are on my YouTube channel. Um, I philosophically, I guess, I, it's so hard to define yourself these days because <laughs> the, the thing keeps I changing. <laughs> I didn't used to call myself conservative. I feel like I'm conservative now because I'm trying to conserve the American way of life and the American system, which didn't used to be a conservative. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like that right. didn't used to necessarily be conservative and I'm not religious. So, but I don't see religion as being necessary to be a conservative anymore. It just doesn't really come into what people are talking about at all. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm more of a libertarian conservative. I think like, yeah, yeah I'm, that, yeah. So that kind of. You actually wore, I'm going to call you out on this because it was awesome. Way back in 2015, you talked about white privilege and put on blackface on camera. I did. I did. It's still up. <laughs> don't, I'm please don't, uh, don't report me. <laughs> that video is still up. 
It's a um, funny on video. House Sunny on my channel. It is. A, <laughs> I just watched it recently. I'm like, hey, that holds up. Yeah. Um, it's on House of Sunny, my channel on YouTube, and it has not been taken down, even though all these other blackface videos have been taken down at this point. But I make it a joke. I mean, I, like I accidentally put on blackface. <laughs> <laughs> trying to help, actually. You're, you're... Try, I'm trying to help people. Yeah. And it kind of just accidentally happens. And that's kind of this character that I would play as sort of this clueless person. But I was responding to an MT. You know, it's funny how bad things get so quickly. What was that, five years ago? Yep. This MTV video came out with these people just complaining about how, like, oh, that I don't have Band-Aids that match my skin color. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I don't either. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> if I put on a Band-Aid, you actually can see it. It's like there's a million shades of white as well as a million shades of of brown skin and black skin it's you don't all get a band-aid that matches you like somebody does <laughs> right. but most people don't and my daughter likes wearing peppa pig band-aids you know like get over yourself it's just so there was this video with all these complaints about how life was so unfair because you don't have the band-aid that matches your skin color and i just could i had to respond to it and i i like to respond with humor because i think it's effective um, but the first thing is, is I get angry and then I like make up a joke and like figure out a way to kind of poke fun at it. Um, cause it's, it's absurd. These yeah. people are absurd. The things they complain about. Well, it's a health, it's a healthy way to deal with your anger. I mostly just yell yeah. and pop a vein or something like that. So right. I should probably become funnier and then maybe I'll be a happier person, I guess. Start um, doing stand up and then you'll get you'll be looking for jokes everywhere. And then uh, they're all around. And then me. it change, It does. It changes you. I'm, if I'm not actively making right now, I haven't made a comedy video in a while. And I can tell that I I get more much more stressed out about politics, because if you don't have some sort of outlet or some way where you feel like you're making a difference, that's why I think activism is great. It, it helps you feel it helps you not get demoralized. Yeah. But the right doesn't have a lot of activism. Like, oddly enough, it's always the left that's, you know, spending 90% of their, their waking hours on activism. <laughs> the right seems to be like, I'm making pancakes and going to work. That's because the they're slacktivists. <laughs> have you ever heard that? They, they're <laughs> no. on welfare and then they, they or they're getting paid by the machine. There's so much money and it's taxpayer money. You make your pancakes, you go to work. You pay your taxes. That money is getting funneled into the a lot of leftist organizations, especially cultural ones. Yeah. Well, it's, what do you think about Trump's recent critical race theory ban? Did you see yeah, that? Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I kind of come from an objectivist background. And Trump is often labeled by and probably libertarians are saying this, too. I see this on Reason a lot. Trump is this anti-intellectual doofus, right. but I don't see anybody else out there sticking their neck out, you know, and saying this has to stop and it's going to stop now. And then he took action. He didn't just say it. He, he canceled it all. Yep. And then the debate, he, he did his best to, I think he gets it on a gut level. This is anti-American. It's divisive. Um, it's communism, you know, it really is. It really is redefined, you know, rather than class warfare, it's um, identity warfare, 
yep. skin color warfare, which is insane that we're all falling for it because like at least class, at least there's something in reality you can point to. I mean, you can point to this today. You look at the oligarchy and you look at the Right. That guy's got a helicopter and I don't like, okay, that's a, that's a tangible thing. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's fair. Um, a little envy, a little, well, or if you, if you really thought that somebody earning a lot of money was somehow taking it from you, which in today's world it is sometimes. Right. I mean, there's in mixed economy, it's true. These people use government to get rich. That's happening all around us. And so you can understand why, Poor people or people who are trying to get ahead and they're just thwarted by the government because um, that's what's happening. Right. You'd get you'd get angry. Um, but there's no reason to get mad about skin color. I just <laughs> <laughs> or or even male female differences like I think so you can what? get banned for you know? saying that that's a thing. Right. But yeah. Right. But, uh, sorry, I should have said the 24 gender differences or the how many we're up <laughs> right. to. I, who knows? Infinity, infinity differences or infinity genders yeah. with no difference between them. I think that's, it's well, infinite genders that are all exactly the same. That's the rule. That's the dogma. <laughs> right. Because you can't be an individual either. Right. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad, I'm glad you, you brought yeah. this up because, um, you and I do both come from the objectivist community. And I think a lot of the objectivist community viewed, views businessmen. I think a, they still do. Uh, as like, they're all Hank Reardon. And I look out at our world and I go, actually, there's a hell of a lot of Oren Boyles out there. There's a hell of a lot of, you know, we've got a monetary system that's completely controlled and in bed with government. And I kind of get the, the Occupy Wall Street movement. I get that anger. And I think that anger is almost correctly directed, not entirely, and the solutions are the wrong direction often that they were arguing for, but I get why, I get the anger. The anger makes sense, actually. Yeah, yeah, Um, which is what I was just saying. It's like you look around and you can see that there are people manipulating, using favors. I mean, you know, Ayn Rand talked about this, too. This isn't exactly, this is no departure from objectivism. Um, did they not read out shrugged (laughs) because (laughs) half the characters are these people. Right. Um, and of course there are Hank Reardon's in the world. Uh, but I mean, you know, I've been in business. There are a lot of good people, a lot of good people, but there, there are definitely all, and all it takes is one guy with money to kind of move in and corrupt a politician in the system. Yep. Um, and so I kind of relate to, to the, I don't, I'm not an anarchist, but I can see that <laughs> people are be. like, well, Hey, even in our limited government, it just became corrupt. And like, anytime you give somebody power, you're going to get corruption. And because somebody's going to have money, especially in a capitalist system. Yep. And so there's a lot of anti-capitalism out there because, well, look, these people make money and then they buy power. And it's true. It, it it we can see it. Yeah. So, the question is, how do you minimize that? I don't think you know. There's no utopia. So, how do you minimize it? And yeah. you know, I think the American system was pretty good. Maybe it needs some adjustments. I you know, I'm not I'm not a political scholar, but, um, but if we could just get back to some of that the way it was, I think we'd 
be better off. We'd have less of this stuff. But I think we also have to get tough. Like if we see somebody, this is what I don't understand about Trump. Why isn't he going after some of these people? You know, I mean, George Soros was banned from his own home country. Like (laughs) he can't fund his weird, crazy NGOs over there or whatever, his organizations in uh, Hungary. He's banned. But here, Why was he banned? What was the justification, do you know? Because he was using money to buy elections and cause division and insurrection. <laughs> he was doing <laughs> what he's doing here. He's buying attorney general races. I mean, he's really smart. And he, he's setting up a situation where good people are going to get arrested and bad people aren't going to get arrested. Yep. And that will lead to collapse. Yeah. That we're yeah. seeing that in all the major blue cities, and he has been responsible. This is what Newt Gingrich couldn't say on Fox the other day. Did you see that? I didn't see this, no. He said, you know, George Soros has been funding with like $1.5 million. He'll fund an attorney general in a state where normally they get like 50 grand for their little campaign, you know? And right. so it's pretty easy to win. One, yeah. And then we're also seeing fraud. And you, you buy ballot harvesting, you buy votes that just came out in Minneapolis. So, you know, how much of Keith Ellison won his AG race in Minnesota? I think he's a horrible person. Yeah. Yes, it's a blue city and state, but not that blue. And he won by kind of a landslide and so did Ilhan Omar. And yet now we're seeing that they were buying votes from 100,000 Somali population, 100,000 people. At least in that population, they were buying hundreds and hundreds of votes, maybe yep. thousands. Yep. So did George Soros fund that? I, I mean, I don't know. But he put a lot of money directly into the coffers of Keith Ellison. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, not to get stuck on him, but Newt Gingrich like put his, said something like that. Well, he's you know putting funding all these AG races. And they were like, no, we don't need to bring George Soros into this. Stop talking. And it was this really amazing, awkward moment. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. I guess does, does Soros, is Fox the controlled opposition then for Soros? And they, they can't, they can't. Uh... That was just weird. I mean, that's when you realize what's going on. And, and Chris Wallace in the debate. Yeah, so bad. That, and that's the Fox was, debate, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so, I I really want to talk to you about the, and I know not every, not everyone that li- listens to our show is is an objectivist, but here's here's why it matters to people who aren't in the objectivist community. If you're the objectivist philosophy is the source of a lot of small government libertarianism for a lot of people. Like a lot of those ideas matter to a lot of people. So people pay attention to, even if it's a small community, they often pay attention to the objectivist leaders and, and that kind of stuff trickles down and, and, and comes out. So, uh, I, I'm tired of being disappointed by, I don't even call myself an objectivist because I'm I don't want to be in the category of the people who are in charge of the organizations that call themselves objectivist. But you're seeing support for Biden. And I want to thank you for calling them out on this. But you mentioned your own Peter Schwartz and Harry Binswanger as all people who have come out against Trump, not just against Trump, but for Biden. Right. What's the justification right. for this? Um. Okay. 
<laughs> You're asking me to explain their crazy their crazy logic. Yeah, because I haven't been paying attention to them, thankfully. First and I just all, got angry hearing it. So maybe you understand it better than I do because I don't. I, I do. I understand what they're saying. Um, I also know that it's just crazy, you know, circular. What's really at root is they don't like Trump. And honestly, I think it comes from it started with his stance on immigration. You know, they're kind of open borders people. And um, it started with that, but they, they just, they're very emotional about him. And I think there's something there psychologically. And I heard this guy, Gad Sad, who's kind of a commentator on, I don't know if you know him. He's a yep. commentator. Yeah, he's great. Um, and he talks a lot about this. They just find him icky. Like yep. there's an emotional, like this, when you're an intellectual and you're super smart, he's this kind of, and I said this on my show too, like he's sort of the truck driver. He's kind of, I think he's smart. I mean, where he is in life, you don't get there. I don't care. You, you don't know, run for president for the first time you've ever run for an office and win without being smart on some level. Like <laughs> That's right. People think this stuff is easy right. or, or have a successful TV show. That's not easy, you guys. Right. It's not easy. I mean, it's hard to have a successful YouTube video. Right. Uh, let alone a successful show on NBC competing with all these other shows with tons of money and people and fame and talent. Um and he did that. And, and he's also built buildings and competed in the most competitive real estate, not just the most competitive, the most like ruthless and talk about Oren Boyles and James Taggart's. <laughs> and within yeah. that, he, he actually built buildings, not that he um, bought buildings and, and earned wealth in a corrupt system. He, he produced value within yep. that system. So <clears throat> Um, you know, I, I'm not saying he's not smart, but they think he's not smart because he doesn't speak the way they speak. He sort of talks like a Queens, New Yorker guy. If you've, I mean, it's really very New Yorkish to me. Yeah. Um, more direct, more blunt, you know, he, so it can be combative. And sometimes that is a turnoff. I think you went for Trump before I did. If I, <laughs> I remember, yes. you know, the timing, the, in the primaries, I was kind of like, oh, my God, I was like a cruise person. And um, I did see some of his value, but I just felt like he was a bad person. Right. But since he took office and what I've seen over the last three and a half years, I'm just completely changed my mind. Um, and what they are is not open to that. Like they're just they 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 have a visceral response. And now everything he does disgusts them. And there's this genius exchange between Euron Brook, who's the chairman of the Ayn Rand Institute. He did a podcast recently with Ankar Gatte, who's the um, intellectual head of the Ayn Rand Institute. I think his title's like chief philosophy officer. Like it's something really awful right out of Alice Shrugged. And they Great. changed it and it's less awful, but it's still awful. And <laughs> the then Minister Robert of Truth? Mayhew. Sorry. It's like that, yeah. <laughs> And then Robert Mayhew and Robert Mayhew says, um, he just, ultimately he just embarrasses me. That's not an it's argument. It's like a super honest response. Yeah. And he said, even if he does something good, it's not good. So he can never do anything good because he's just embarrassing. That's literally their take. But they don't, when they say, okay, so they hate Trump. That's where they're starting from. And then to get to pro Biden 
they're saying that because this horrible ogre dictatorial totalitarian who deregulated got us out of the the paris climate accords like like all the did all these things they would argue for right yeah ignoring all the evidence that he's not a totalitarian like where's why didn't the army march into portland because he could have done that right um i'm kind of surprised at how how much he hasn't done stuff like that yep and but they don't change their opinion about him. They continue to call him so authoritarian and he's so anti-intellectual and they're so fixated on that. Like if you're not an intellectual, you shouldn't be president, which is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but he's, and he, he's like this horrible first step down an unreason path in America, which is absurd, but that's what they claim that, they, that we have to vote against him because he's doing all of this in the name of freedom and the name of capitalism. So the, they're saying the worst enemy is the not so great capitalist instead of the full blown nihilist Marxist. And then they come out and say in Biden, he's not really that way. He's more of like a mild Democrat anyway. You know, he's one of the old school corrupt Democrats. So he's not, you know, it's not like it's AOC or something. But what we all know is that the whole party has been taken over by the radicals at this point. Right. And it, it's not like Biden is the guy who's going to be making, it's a whole administration that you're getting when you vote for a person, especially a person like Biden. With dementia. He's always just been a talking Possibly. head. I, even, yep. I mean, dementia or not, has he ever been the policy wonk? That's not the kind of person he is. Um, he is also a populist of sorts and maybe more so than Trump. I'd say he's never run anything. He just shakes hands, drinks, drinks, makes deals with, tells Ukrainians what to do if they, uh, you know, want money from the U S government and helps his family and himself get rich. So everybody else is, are the, around him will be the people setting the agenda and he'll just go along with it, which is why he's the nominee. Yep. So, um, but their argument is, okay, so he's kind of mild and also, um, Trump is so bad and he's speaking in the name of capitalism. So in order not to further tarnish the right, in order to promote some kind of mythical uprising of a Liberty movement that we don't have, we have to take down the nasty elements within the liberty movement first. That's the argument. Wouldn't that be a primaries argument, not a now that we're in the general election argument? Like, okay, so vote <laughs> against him in the primaries. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, once you have your two choices, you're either going to vote for a nihilist Marxist or you're going to vote for the guy who's not. And Thankfully, Trump is better than just not. You know, if we had Romney, I would say, okay, we have a corrupt oligarch candidate on our side, too, who doesn't give a crap about freedom. Right. And then we have the Marxist nihilism party. Right. Um, but we have Trump, who actually is a patriot. I mean, uh, you know, he actually does on a gut level and maybe and I think intellectually, um, as far as that goes, he loves America. He appreciates the basic structure, the basic way of life here. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if 
it's weird because everything that all the criticisms of Trump that they lay lay at his feet. He's a pragmatist. He, you know, he's a populist. He doesn't care about X, Y, and Z. Uh, he doesn't really get it intellectually. Those are yeah. true of every person who's ever run for president in my entire lifetime and every person who will run for president in the future, very likely. Yeah. So what right. fantasy world are they living in in which, like, Aristotle runs for president? I don't, like, I, I don't understand. There like, was, like, Thomas Jefferson one day <laughs> okay. once and John Adams. Like, they got it. Okay, fair. Even George Washington was more of a populist Um Although, you know, I think he got it maybe more than somebody gets it today. But that was like in the midst of this Enlightenment period. And yeah, you're right. And I, and even Ayn Rand said, you're hiring, this person is an executive. It's, it's not, you're not hiring a philosopher king. Right. Um, so they have to be kind of practical doers. That has to be actually more of a fundamental. And they're running foreign policy, which, and the military, technically, I mean, Trump doesn't run anything right. in DC, it seems. It does it's seem that It's all way. run by the left at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I agree. It's like, they can't keep the context of what it is that they're selecting here. Uh, the job del is delimited, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. and what's great about Trump, which they just completely ignore is that look what he's done culturally in terms of emboldening other intellectuals. You know, people are more brave. They have more courage to come out and say, to write a book. I mean, we're getting all these books, taking down critical race theory, taking, taking down this stuff, speaking out against uh, identity politics. That's become, there are so many people doing that now. Five years ago, they weren't. Yep. They weren't as popular if they were. They, they weren't as embraced. He's made it okay to question this stuff just by being bold and courageous and going, no, that's, you know, that's junk. Yeah. And that has been huge for our culture on an intellectual level. So, you know, when, when Douglas Murray can write a book and, and it's a bestseller, right. taking down identity politics in every facet, you know, was, is, was that possible five years ago? I don't know. Yeah, no, so. I, I agree. And in fact, the thing that I, the reason I, I don't, I haven't, I hadn't voted until Trump in 2016, I hadn't voted for a president and, or for anything in a long time. I was just like, I don't, you know, if anything, I would have voted for gridlock. I just wanted the government to stop growing. Um, sure. And, uh, but with Trump, what I, what I like is he's the – whether or not he, he uses gutter language or is boorish or understands the nuance of anything, I don't really care. He's the only one who's fighting the culture war. He's literally the only one who's yeah. fighting the culture war. And he fights it in a um, very obtuse way sometimes and you know, with blunt weapons. But he fights yeah. it. And I don't That's understand – That's why he got in. Yeah. And I don't get how the objectivists, like, I know you're familiar with the Breitbart concept of politics being downstream from culture, right? Yeah. But I, I, an extension of that, which we talk about on this show a lot, which I think just, I mean, I 
quote came up with it, but I think it's just a rephrasing of Ayn Rand, uh, which is like culture is downstream from philosophy. Like philosophy comes first and then culture and then politics. And that's a very good way of saying it. Yeah. I don't get how the objectivist intellectuals can look at the culture war and say, let's argue over immigration policy. Can can we have a culture war? Can, can, can we worry yeah. about not the fact- only do they say let's argue over immigration policy? They use leftist talking points to mm-hmm. silence other objectivists who don't agree with them. They Harry Binswanger. I'm you know these people. I I'm mixed with them in the past. I I'm not trying to personally attack them, but they need to think about how they've been saying things. They call somebody who is less radical in my opinion open borders is a new and radical idea that no country has ever practiced in the history of freaking countries right and and they're like oh you're a racist if you don't agree with that if you want border security you're a racist you're a xenophobe yep and that to me so they're actually supporting multiculturalist multiculturalism in the culture by using those terms and just insulting people for their viewpoints, which, which they do. But, you know, I don't think they think of it that way. I think they're just typically doing the thing a lot of objectivists do, which is moralize a lot, you know, which everybody does. Like if you think this, you're, you know, immoral, you're, you're evading, you're irrational. Um, and then they're just taking it a step further and saying, well, what other motivation could you have except you don't like Brown people, which is just, uh, okay, well, maybe talk I can't to us think of any other motivation. Out. You must be racist. Yeah. <laughs> QED. Right. Yeah. Well, it, that yes, and that is what they say. So that's lovely. But, um, but yeah, I mean, they're just in the weeds with that stuff, and then they accuse Trump of being like not addressing the intellectual part. The other thing they say too, which I think is a weird thing you brought up, like when has a president ever been the philosopher king, and like Trump's given some great speeches and they'll yeah. say, but he didn't write them. He doesn't know what he's saying. <laughs> right. And right. it's like, okay, when did a president, when's the last president that wrote their own speech? Lincoln? Right. Maybe right. Teddy Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt didn't, right? It was that guy an intellectual. I don't even know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I feel like the, I, this feeling isn't an argument. I have the impression, <laughs> which also isn't an argument that the uh, many of the objectivist elite are just um, cowards. And then that's where a lot of this stems from because it's much easier. And I, I kind of vaguely had this feeling years ago, but it wasn't as pronounced. I, it seems that they will go with whatever the mainstream cultural values are to the extent that they can be justified in some way because um, they don't want to be... I don't know if they all feel like none of them were cool in high school or something. And they all, yeah, I don't know. Like they all want to be, they all want to be included and they don't want to be called the bad names. And so they will take the cowardly position and justify using objectivism ostensibly uh, to justify whatever it is that the mainstream kind of likes. And now that it's open borders, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I really, I'm, I've been super shocked by some of the things that they've said the last few years. 
I, yeah. I've been really surprised and dis, dis, really disappointed. And it isn't even about Trump, um, although that's it's like they've gotten worse since then. But even before he was elected, they the, just the moralizing about some of these issues, uh, you know, you hate children if you're not for and, and just the overt, you know, one of the main tenets of objectivism is this virtue of selfishness. Right. And that you're allowed to, you know, you're not only allowed, you're morally obligated to come at the world from a value perspective of what's good for my life and not in a hedonistic way, in a long range, what's yep. best for my life and my family and, you know, but if I'm not worried about some Mexican hard case, I'm a, I don't care about kids. Right. You know, I mean, I got accused of stuff like that when I argued online saying these caravans, for example, should be shut down and, you know, we have to stop the illegal immigration and everything, but, um, but yeah, it's just a weird thing. And, you know, I have tons of examples, like Greg Salmieri said on your own's podcast, he doesn't like the term white privilege. He prefers white blindness. And you're like, what are you Wait, what? doing? So now we've you know, got objectivist critical race theorists going on. Yes. And, you know, Greg <sighs> is an academic. He's, he works in a college. He's surrounded by leftists. You know, I, I don't, so I can't really speak to the motivation. I don't want to say I was just a coward. He's also in a bubble. And a lot of these people are in, are in similar bubbles. I think they do, they get their news from the New York times, you know, yeah. and they're, I don't know why they aren't, they, they look down on Breitbart.com. They look down on these other alternative news sources in the same way that, a lot of people do. Um, but you know, cowardice could be part of it. Um, for one person, maybe it's just kind of a dislike of the jock. If you're like, so you went right. through some trauma in high school, right? <laughs> He's the guy that you know. didn't like in high school. Cause he gave you wedges yeah, or whatever. You got bullied yeah. And you know, yeah. we all got bullied. Everybody got bullied, but somehow <laughs> you decided it was because the football player why is he successful? I'm the smart one, you know? Right. I don't know. Yeah. Why does he get the supermodel? I don't know. Yeah. Um, speaking of Trump, he has COVID. I want to switch topics a little bit. Oh, yeah. He's got COVID now. Um, sure. Which I'm I'm loving the uh, I'm loving the empathy on Twitter blue check marks. Uh, as yeah. <laughs> that's, it's what, fun to watch. What's going on on Twitter? I, I'm not on Twitter. What are they saying? Oh, I'm sure that you could guess. I mean, they're wishing him best wishes. I'm so sorry you have COVID, you and your wife, you know, really pulling Hope for you. Die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hope you die, racist. Something like that. Uh, but um, I, I'm shocked he has it. I, I mean, on the one hand, there's conspiracy theory that he doesn't really have it, that he's lying to get out of the debates, which his poll numbers went up after the debate. So as much as people didn't like it, um, it, it actually was favorable to him. And particularly in the minority communities, which is hilarious. <laughs> yep. Um, but then the other conspiracy is that someone gave it to him purposely. Wouldn't Biden he shows be the up one a debate trying to get out of debates? A couple days later. Hmm? Shouldn't Biden be the one trying to get out of the debate, though? I would right, exactly. 
So I, I don't necessarily buy that one. And then, but you know, how did he get it? He, he was around a pack of Democrats for the first time a couple of days ago, and now he has COVID <laughs> or, or coronavirus. So that is suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> I guess a little bit. I think he'll be fine, but, uh, do you, I hope so. Yeah. He's in I think he'll be category. fine. He wasn't coughing. He's not going to be like, well, I'm not taking hydrochloroquine and zinc because that's fake news. He'll be like, yeah, whatever, what works? I'll try whatever works. He'll do his I thing. I hope so. If if he doesn't listen to Fauci and he doesn't listen to these <laughs> idiots that uh, are running the government response that he hasn't fired yet, um, then he'll probably be fine because well, there are treatments. Um, yeah. You know, but he has to be willing to take them or he has to have a doctor who's given it to him. But since he took it before, I'm assuming he'll just take hydro- hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me I do. Let me okay. just throw a couple super chats on the screen and then I want to change topics for a minute. So we just like to okay. thank people that super chat. So Pirate Tomsky, thank you. He says 40 plus years of Biden in the system and he calls out systemic racism at the debates. What does that say about him? Yeah. Well, uh, it says there's also a lot of former video footage of him being racist. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. But just remember, if you don't vote Biden, you're not black. Right. You're not really no, you, black. No, you ain't black. black, Sonny. You ain't oh, you, black. You ain't black. <laughs> <laughs> Mandy, uh, Mandy says. You ain't black, yo. <laughs> I got my application for the mail-in ballot, filled it out and sent it. One week later, I just received another application and another and another. Excellent. Maybe they think you're a Democrat. Don't know why that is. And I know where you, you can sell those to uh, some people in the Somali community. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a guy named uh, I forget his name, Jamal, in in Minnesota who <laughs> paid good money for it. <laughs> I'll tell you which corner to go to. You can get a couple hundred bucks. Uh, Joy, Joy Hafford. Thank you, Joy. Joy says uh, fighting the swamp, including the media, uh, media, the culture war, and now the China virus. Keep on winning. Yeah, I think Trump, I, I think people viscerally, this is the difference between Trump and everyone else, in my opinion. It's just a love of America. He loves America, even if he doesn't exactly understand what it is, he loves it and he wants it to keep going. And that's what people vote for. Uh, and not just Trump, but his followers, right? Yeah. So isn't that what differentiates all of us and even the walk away people, the Democrats, you know, so... Yeah, I, no, I agree. Mac Daddy says, this is a perfect excuse for Biden to get out of the debate and simultaneously blame Trump. Yeah, right? I was thinking that. Right? He can get out and he can blame Trump and say, well, I would have debated you, but I got to go back to my mom's basement or wherever it is he's hanging out. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not his mom's basement. Um, do you think he's senile? I do. I mean, I look, I don't, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't want to like remotely diagnose. So I, the caveat I'll say is, I don't know what I'm talking about, but- he does kind of appear to have some senility issues. Uh, and when I compare him 10 years ago making speeches and he's, he doesn't slur his words as much, he is more articulate, he definitely seems to have something missing, like the gears, there's, there's a gear missing or something going on right now. And I think if his family loved him, they would be saying, Grandpa, come on, just sit on the porch. We'll make you some iced tea. Let's enjoy your retirement. There's no reason to do this. I do think he is, Kerry has called him a puppet and I think that's exactly what's going on. I think the radical left is decided we can 
stick our hand up Biden and control him, <laughs> so to speak. And uh, yeah. and it'll but be the radical left the president. It's it's the oligarchy, you know? Yes. Good point. Yep. The crazy thing about this revolution is it's a top down revolution. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking to um, I don't know if you know who Michael Rechtenwald is, who's the anti PC NYU prof. Um, but I was talking to he has he's a brilliant guy. He basically has a PhD in postmodernism. He was a postmodernist forever. And then this whole thing started moving. He ended up reading von Mises and like now he's a small government guy. He's totally shifted away from Marxism and postmodernism. Good for him. Um, Yeah. But he, um, he was making a a, a point that I think is, is a lot of people don't understand. They misuse this. They, they assume that capitalism, they conflate capitalism, the, the ideology of um, private property and individual rights and a system that's supporting private property uh, with people who make money. And they, so they think, well, why would a company want anything other than capitalism? And obviously many companies historically have wanted something very different than capitalism because there's plenty of plutocracy or oligarchical or um, even fascist systems in which people that own the large monopoly company do quite well under an authoritarian government. That's right. It helps them retain power without having to innovate. Yes. Uh, power over the market. Um, yep. ha- you know, and I think we're seeing that. Yeah. We're seeing that a lot, particularly well, with Silicon Valley at this point. Yes. Yeah. And I think if you look at uh, COVID uh, or coronavirus, whatever, um, you've seen a huge transfer of wealth from mom and pop and small companies oh, yes. to large tech That's companies. Frightening. Yeah. I mean, why could we go? This is an argument that I totally get. How come I could go to Target, but I can't go into the local boutique shop right. down the street? Right. That is unbelievable bias toward big corporate money. And I don't know what's what's clearer than that. You can shop here, but not there. Right. Yeah. Jeff Bezos has done really, really well with this. Right. Um, yeah. So, all right. So I want to. Did you hear 20,000 of his employees got coronavirus? No, really? Yeah. They just admitted 20,000 Amazon employees. How many? Do you know how many Amazon employees there are? I don't. I have no idea. <laughs> That's a lot of. Seems like a lot, though. Oh, yes. It seems like a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, they're, they're not running a sweatshop or anything. No. No. Uh, and, and uh, yeah, with people like Bayes, it's just, like you said earlier, once when you get big enough and and you start to get in bed with the government and you're buying politicians or regulators and you've got a revolving door with regulators back and forth, it, the line between what production you've brought to the world, like what, what actual entrepreneurial value you have, and between that and how much you're a leech is starts to blur quite a lot, right? How much of an Oren Boyle are you versus how much of a Reardon are you? Maybe there was some Reardon in you early, but yeah. I think this is the mistake they make because we do see people like Bezos who he did build something. Sure. He is a Hank Reardon in there. There's a part of him. Part of him is. Yeah. And then at some point he got corrupted. Right. And, and I mean, you know, when you find out that you're in competition with other corrupt people and you got politicians threatening you, at some point, maybe you make a change. You right. decide to use this to be part of the system. Well, I think and a lot it, of them are and just... Then, 
pragmatist, right? They, he, yeah. he was never right. a, ideologically Hank Reardon. He was just good at making steel mills, for example. Like, right. Right. He's just a pragmatist. So, because you'll hear a lot of them say, like, you can change the rules. I don't care. You change the rules. I'll just use the new rules and to my advantage. Like, I don't, I don't care what the rules are. I know how to win in any given set of rules. So, uh, except he owns the Washington Post. So something feels more like he's not mm-hmm. just a pragmatist. Like he's actually, I don't know. It's a really weird person. Whereas on the other hand, Elon Musk, who takes government subsidies, I actually feel better about because me too. Ideologically, he's more of a maverick and more of a freedom-loving guy. Yeah, yeah. I he's he's the guy that like I wake up one morning and hate, and the next morning he tweets something, and I'm like, yeah, go Elon. Yeah. Uh, right. So. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I, I agree I know. with you. I agree with you. Or, or when he had that uh, really magnificent launch right in the middle of one of our worst <laughs> moments with coronavirus and yep. you know all of that. So yeah, yeah. So I, I want to. I know you have opinions on healthcare um, and pharmaceutical companies generally. Um, <sighs> yeah. Did you I see have firsthand experience? <laughs> I, I know I'm. You talk about whatever you want to talk about. I'm not asking for your firsthand experience unless you want to share it. But um, did you see Katie Porter do this um, thing yesterday in in Congress where she berated the Amgen CEO? No, I didn't. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can. I'm gonna try and play this. It might it might fail in some spectacular way, but we're gonna try and do a real time playing okay. thing here. Hold on. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so <clears throat> here she is. Make sure I got sound on. Let's hope that this isn't too loud. I'll try and pay attention to the levels. So <clears throat> here she is. She's gonna. She's she's going over Amgen profits, and she's gonna argue about how much. You can see what she wrote. She wrote myth. Big pharma says their price hikes on life saving medication pay for research. Math. This drug company spent nearly three times more on stock buybacks than research to the tune of $28 billion, $28.6 billion. So here she's going to, she's going to do her thing here. Let's see, let's see if we can get her. Can you hear that at all? I can't hear it. All right, hold on. Let me, let me fix this. Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Do you put out an audio file too? I can. An audio only or is this just a YouTube? We do an audio only. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. 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 I do too with mine. Yeah. All right. Let's try this again. Okay. I can't hear it. You still can't hear it? Still can't hear it. All right. Well, then I won't play it right now. I don't know. We can see your writing. Yeah. That's fine. So she says, how much did they spend on stock buybacks? Right. And she does some math here and she's holding up this whiteboard and she's going to berate this guy. This is the he says, I don't know the number off the top of my head. Tax reform was implemented that year about we spent about 30 billion on stock buyback. She says, yeah, twenty eight point six. Right. And she says, you only spent you only spent. uh, She says 10 billion. She said you spent about 10 billion on R&D in the same three year period. And she's trying to shame him by showing their big profits here as well, All right? So this is the shame, shame, shame pharmaceutical company because you're making money. Um, and I just, 
there's a couple things I wanted to talk about. First, I, I do want to get your generalized reaction, but I also just want to share some actual numbers because I was like, oh, everyone has E-Trade, so we can go look up Amgen's information. Uh, so she was pulling money. She was pulling data from 2017 through 2019. She said it was $10 billion they spent on R&D. It was 11.4, but okay, close. Um, and she said they spent $28.6 billion in buybacks. Now, that's correct. However, in 2018, they spent $17.7 billion in buybacks. There was some anomalous event. Um, and if you look at a five-year period, things start to look a little bit different. I couldn't go back beyond five years. But five years, R&D jumps up to $19.3 billion, and their buybacks are still only at $33 billion. So they start to even out a little bit more. Um, and... She also used for their profits. She used the revenue line. Uh, their revenue oh, was yeah. seventy billion. Their net income was eighteen billion, which is much different. Um, mm-hmm. And the last thing I want to mention is she's looking at a three-year period. Now, for those of you who don't know, the FDA approval process for a new drug in the United States has an years. average of twelve years. That's right, twelve years. <laughs> and the odds to market are. Do you know what they are? Oh God, it must be so tiny. One in five thousand is the odds. that your new drug gets to market. One in 5,000 and it takes 12 years. So this is why I hate politicians talking about or criticizing how CEOs, even if I don't like the CEO or the company, this is how I hate the micromanaging of, you did X, Y, Z, how dare you? You should do She has no fucking clue what she's talking (laughs) about. He does not Mm -hmm. run the company on three-year time horizons. Buybacks are important strategically for long-term health of the company. They're trying to keep the stock at some level. They might have a three- or five-year period where they spend a lot more on buybacks than R&D. None of that negates anything about how they're running the company or the claim that they need to uh, invest money back into R&D. I just wanted to rant about that, but I want to get your general thoughts on this and pharma. Yeah, I mean, the problem, again, you know, it's like it's it's mixed, right? I mean, I'm— totally for profits. I'm totally for innovation. I'm totally for new drugs. You know, I don't even, I'm not going to say I'm totally for science because (laughs) science isn't a thing. It's not a God. No, no, you should. Science is settled, Sonny. (laughs) Science is like this. It's become an entity the way people talk about it nowadays. Um, I am, so just personally, I have a health issue. I have an autoimmune disease that I struggle with. There are new treatments every year, thank goodness. I mean, I'm just, you know, the things that I deal with, um, I'm, I am in the thick of, I have a chronic illness, which means I am in the center of the eye of the hurricane of modern day healthcare in this country. <laughs> right. I know it. I know everything about it on a personal level. So, I mean, I'm thankful for the medicines that people develop. Um, again, new ones coming out all the time. Right now, I received a, I'm, I'm doing a new treatment this year. I'm, I've had a tough year. I've been hospitalized twice. I received a new treatment in May that start that was working. And this treatment's really amazing. It's like really low side effects. It's brand new. It's kind of more natural. It's like a, anyway, it's a long story, but the FDA shut it down, shut down the lab that Why? was manufacturing it because of coronavirus. Oh my God. So now the lab has spent months and months trying to ramp up, trying to prove that 
they're testing for like how they're making this safe, their processes in the lab, you know, like that people aren't putting coronavirus into the medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. You just can't even believe it. But if you're manufacturing medicine, don't you already in like a pretty sterile environment? But yes, but you have to prove that you've taken any new measures that the coronavirus would have required. You know, it's is coronavirus crazy. fundamentally different in its transmission that like, oh, my God, it it it, you know, teleports from one spot to another. Did you the, yeah, what, I, what measures do you have to add that don't know, also work insane. for Ebola or anything else? Yeah. So I was able to have a month of this treatment and then I was cut off. I got sicker. I had to go on steroids, which you can see like in my face just to I've been on steroids all summer waiting to be able to get this treatment again which I will finally be able to get this month. Wow. So the FDA is evil. And, you know, when you think about all the innovation and the small business innovation, I've also worked in as a, as a financial consultant and as a process consultant for um, device, small business device manufacturers. And in Minnesota, there's a huge medical industry where I'm from. And so I, I used to work in those companies a lot. And these small businesses, the just the amount of money and time and years they're putting into developing a product and all they hope for is to get bought by some giant corporation because it's the only way they can really end up being profitable Right. in the end because the whole process is just too expensive and too, too hard. Yep. Um, so how much innovation does that crush in reality? And... And then you have these big corporations that are corrupt. They're corrupt. And and they're the heads of big pharma used to work at the FDA and the FDA people used to work at big pharma. And it's all just kind of one. And I knew that before coronavirus and then coronavirus. And I got to say, I was even surprised at what I've seen and the level of like a mafia corruption within the NIH. And of course, I mean, they control billions and billions of dollars. So we should have known that there'd be somebody like Fauci who's in there (laughs) deciding who gets what funding and money and, and that that would be essentially a corrupt process where he benefits and people that he decides benefit. Um, if you look at the board of, or I'm sorry, the, the people on the NIH, committee to decide what to say about, say, hydroxychloroquine. A bunch of them have a published conflict of interest because they actually work at Gilead, who's who's the oh. remdesivir drug <laughs> manufacturer. There's like 20 people at NIH making the decision, what should we say about hydroxychloroquine? And oh. they have to disclose their conflict of interest. But no one reads it? If they... Uh, nobody looks at it. And then, and then that doesn't even include whether or not you own stock in that company. So it's just that I actually work at Gilead that is benefit that is trying to press push remdesivir. And I also work at the NIH in the advisory committee on what to say about these drugs, the, the treatments for coronavirus. And again, there are people who might own stock or have other conflicts of interest that aren't really there. Right. But the ones we can see, it's really obvious and it's corrupt. And and when you just look at the facts that like, where's the studies? Where's they actually say 
uh, the NIH actually says hydroxychloroquine, we do not recommend hydroxychloroquine um, for treatment. After everything, they don't recommend it. And people go to their doctor and the doctor says, no, we don't give hydroxychloroquine. It doesn't work. And but there's no downside, really. That, that's the thing I don't... It's like hydroxychloroquine has been used to treat malaria for decades. There's not... It's like right. known... It's known minimal side effects. Yeah. But they're, uh, they've overdosed people on it in studies. Or in one study in the UK, they overdosed people on it and they got side effects. And now everybody's just using that study as right. like, oh, it is dangerous. So they're playing this game and... It's so corrupt. And if you just learn a little bit, you see that. And, and then the vaccine thing. Are you going to get a vaccine that. or no? Oh, my God. I would never get their vaccine. All right. Good. Who are these people <laughs> who would inject themselves with this? Crazy? I have an autoimmune disease. So I know, like, you don't mess with your immune system. I'm telling you right now, people do not understand the immune system. Diseases like mine, they don't know what causes it. It could have been caused by a vaccine that I had as a kid. They don't know, you know. So this is not known science. This is like, well, we're hoping for the best. Right. Um, if, if, if this thing were killing people at a higher rate or, you know, if, it, if the cost-benefit analysis were different. But I would never take this thing. Never. I, I probably shouldn't say that. I'm going to get sued. I'm not a doctor. No, I mean you can you can <laughs> say you're never going to take it. I'm not going to take it. Yeah, uh, it's you know, yeah. it's funny how they have to be so hyper careful with new drugs. Even if you're terminally ill, you're not. I mean, I guess now there's a right, right. to to try stuff going on. But like they're so careful with new drugs so that you're not allowed to make your own decisions about what drugs to take because they want to keep you safe and they create this giant apparatus under the pretense of keeping you safe. And yet. Uh, when it benefits them, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rush, rush this it. vaccine's market and <laughs> and force everyone to have it. Meanwhile, they're crushing any treatments that actually work, right? So that people will be like, well, maybe I do need the vaccine, right. and that's a that is a you know a multi multi billion dollar business. And Bill Gates has said he wants seven billion people to take the vaccine. Everybody. I was gonna say that's and, everyone, right? Yes. And they will try to mandate that. Like, well, if you want to travel or have a job or go to school or go to the grocery store, you have to have the vaccine. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm concerned about. I mean, we talked about China a little bit before the show, I think. And, uh, you know, everyone freaks out about the when, when people write stories about the China, their social credit system. And my wife is there right now. She literally has to have her QR code on her phone to, like, get into buildings to show that her health is good. Um, so uh, we freak out about that, but we kind of feel like, well, that wouldn't happen in the U.S. because the government doesn't actually own Google, but it, they don't really need to. All the big tech is completely right. in bed with all this. Look at how YouTube uh, treats videos that question WHO or CDC guidelines. Right. Um, so that social credit system could absolutely be here. It's just, it's a, it's actually more fascism because it's run by a company That's plus right. government rather than pure authoritarianism, just government. That's right. I, I, I see that very clearly. I don't, I think a lot of people don't see that yet. 
that these companies are actually just that it's the same people, the government yeah. and these big companies, not every big company, but, um, but I would say most, most large corporations these days are fascist. Yeah. Well, cause I mean, you almost, I don't want to say you have to be, obviously you have a choice, but you're swimming in this water that is horribly corrupt where the rules, like the, the, the bureaucracy, the deep state controls the rules in many ways. And if you want to survive, you need they to marry them. You. Yeah. They, you need your man in Washington. Yeah. Right. You need your Wesley Mouch. Yeah, yeah, you your Wesley Mouch. Yeah. You, you, you know, and you could argue you don't, but if you don't, they just pass laws against you. They will come after you and they do it. And they threaten on Twitter. I see it all the time. Um, they threaten Mark Zuckerberg. I mean, everything we see out in the open, Mark Zuckerberg getting threatened behind the scenes is probably 10 times worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't see what's really going on. And right. I don't know, there was a Wired article some years ago, like uh, 2015, that talked about how it was big media pressuring Zuckerberg to censor the right. And yeah. part of the reason that they wanted him to do that is because he was taking away their their success. Right. Big right. media was upset because Z Facebook was dominating news. Yep. And and filtering people over into alternative news sources, and they're like, "We're losing, we're losing clicks and viewers. We've got to stop this." Yep. And then they use government. They, so it's big media, government pressuring the social media companies. Right. You know, I, I, there's so many examples. There's yeah. so many examples. Yeah. And now you've got, you've got YouTube elevating CNN and ABC and CBS content, you know, uh, and you've got Facebook right. partnering with fact checkers that, you know, we, <laughs> we were oh, talking before, yeah. right? Snopes literally fact checks the Babylon Bee, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. but they're the fact checkers uh, that are, just, that are approved. Yeah. It's gotten really bad. Yeah. It's gotten really bad. Yeah. And and so like you said they don't need we don't need the communist government and and it's just more sneaky. You know, that's all it is. It's the same but it's just more sneaky. So yeah. which is which is worse because I think if it was out in the open the Ameri yeah. many Americans would be opposed to it, but I think a lot of Americans are like, well, the government's not doing that. These are private companies. It's a private companies. company. Right. Oh. Right. Yeah, which is like uh, there there really isn't anything such as a private company anymore when you're that big in the U.S. Um, it's very when hard. You're that big, right? I think uh, small especially for publicly are, traded. Are private. Yeah. 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 Small medium sized businesses can still retain a certain amount of independence. They're just not noticed. But right. even then, um, you know, I I've seen firsthand where somebody's trying to do something. And some other competitor will go to the city council, buy somebody off, and they'll like crush a, a building yep. project or something. So, I mean, I've seen that. It, it does happen. And, and if you don't have a little bit of money to put into a counter, you need money to, to fight these corrupt business people who try to use government against you. Right. Um, so. This is why fundamentally I think uh, as much as I blame the businessmen, and I, I do – Fundamentally, you need to take away the power because if there's a gun in the room, they'll fight. They'll fight over it. There can't be a gun in the room. Like if if the 
If the city council doesn't have the authority to do whatever it is you want them to do, then you can't bribe them because there's they don't get anything out of it. Right. Um, but as right. soon as we empower them in the name of the public good or whatever it is or from some right. stupid cause, they need to have the power to do X, Y, Z. Well, now you've got a, a free market corruption. on buying that power. Well, my one thing I'm grappling with in terms of the American system is when did that begin? At some point, mm. somebody with money caused that first and maybe it was philosophic maybe it was a do-gooder kind of thing well a hurricane came through and we have to help these people let's tax people and give money to the people who just got hurt by a hurricane maybe that was the first thing that happened and people got you know sad and felt and, and they were emotional and so they just gave in but um but maybe it was People with money, like if you think about the banking thing that happened at, you know, the turn of the 20th century, where they, the big, big bankers used their wealth and created a national bank. Yeah. Um, you know, they used their money and bought themselves corruption. They bought themselves politics. I'm not so sure it was the people ever. People didn't clean. really realize what was happening. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to think that it was clean at some point, but even. Just a government bank was a that that idea was around at the founding and being argued, yeah. right? So, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure we were. I think maybe we had a little seed of poison from the very beginning, Something. and it just metastasized. Yeah, right? and and then the question is, how do you how is there another check or balance that we didn't get that could have stopped that? Right. Um, you know, Jefferson said, was it Jefferson who said there needs to be a revolution every 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. What if there was a reset? What if you could reset it and wipe away all this? So, junk yeah. Every 50 years, you know, and go back to common law, basic things, you know, and the, and the government would have to repass everything again. Um, they'd probably do it in an omnibus. I was going to say, I, I, I don't think that I'm would just help. saying like. Right? Yeah. Because it would just be the culture would move and, and actually it might actually accelerate faster because as soon as the culture moved, they would get to hit the reset button towards communism a little bit more every 50 years. Like, oh, oh, we can throw out the Second Amendment now. Boop. Reset. Done. All right. Now we don't have to overcome that one. And as, as long as culture is no, no, moving. No, no. The reset is you get everything back. You get the clean slate. Oh, but the, but back to the, the founding documents. Back to the founding documents. Everything else is cleared out, and they have to pass everything. Yeah, they'd just omnibus it, and it would have zero effect. Well, it would be like, oh, it's the rule that they couldn't omnibus it. <laughs> you could. I have like the idea of like uh, literally every single page, like every single word that needs to be passed needs to be read at a speed no greater than whatever the speed is on the floor, and like that's it. Like if you can't. And, and you could probably have a limit on text and be like, okay, uh, if you have this many words of federal laws, yeah. you have to delete some words before you add any. You can't add any more words. Yeah. That's just an arbitrary limit, and that's the number of words. Um, I think term limits would be nice. You know, I mean, there are different things I could think of that would make it better. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like I, I just don't know if it's preventable. And especially when a country gets super wealthy like we did. It's just going to attract the the jackals and the vultures, and you know. So, yeah. um, it, it's a it's an interesting problem 
and here we are 250 years later. Well, see, so that's why, like, I disagree with many people on the political nuance of things. Like, you and I probably disagree on the, like, political, like, what the right system is. I'm not sure I know what the right system is. That's part of it. But um, I would rather be having that conversation. What I want is a culture where we all agree that individual rights matter. And now we need to figure out what the best way to do that is. And we can disagree about that, but at least we're all on the same, we all have the same goal. We're all trying to do the same thing. I'd love to have arguments about that and have like that be the biggest concern. Right. Be like, okay. Fun. Right. I'm like, Oh, if I lose what I get the stuff we were talking about. Yeah. Even the open borders argument. Should we have open borders or shouldn't we? These are, these are political. These are interesting political questions. Right. Um, but. So how do you protect freedom? What's the best way to protect freedom? So if we're all coming from that, you know, it is more fun, but that's not the argument in today's world. Right. Um, and, and actually something on the open borders thing that I think objectivists in particular. So here's a here's an error that Rand made, which I know is uh, I don't I don't blame her for it because science wasn't there at the time. But this is just an error that she propagated that she didn't know. Um she went with John Locke's tabula rasa view of humans that they are blank slates, and that is yeah. not true. It is scientifically yeah. disproven. Um, it's right. not true. And so um, given that knowledge, it opens up really sticky, horrible questions like, okay, well, <laughs> what the hell do we do about immigration and like voting patterns? And like if we're going to have some semblance of a, of a democratic or republic uh, system – where people vote, isn't that really dangerous to have people voting away other people's rights? Because because they clearly will ignore what's written on the piece of paper. So we kind of need to make sure we have some sort of like I'm I'm I've come to the point where I got to the point a while ago that I'm like I'm not a fan of universal suffrage. I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what the answer is, yeah. but more votes is not I, helpful. <laughs> no, I'm totally with you. I I, I completely agree with that. Both the things that you said, she was wrong about that. I do think that she couldn't have known. Right. There has been, uh, you know, more context, more study since. Um, but yeah. Um, and, and when this country was founded, not everyone could vote. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, I don't think it should be based on sex or skin color, but property maybe, or, you know, maybe there's a way right. to people with a stake in paying the taxes, People with, um, yeah, you know, yeah, people who are who are not paying into the system or part of uh, there's there's that thing too. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of science fiction, but Heinlein, where uh, I'm actually not even opposed to like service for citizenship. Right, I've seen that. I've seen that. Uh, you know, where you want to vote, you gotta do your military service, and you have to go through some sort of America training. <laughs> where yeah. you you learn about the founding documents and you know I, I don't know but I, I would be I, open I, yeah. to any of that stuff and again there's no dogma here like it can be what we what we think right. is the right thing for it to be right um, and we've seen how it has become corrupted and how it can fall off look where we're at yeah um, we're in a bad place and People are voting, you know, we're just so far gone that, you know, these changes need to be made a hundred years ago, but (laughs) yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, we've been indoctrinating generations of kids. So what do we expect? Uh, but look, I, 
Let me throw out an idea because I've been thinking about the voting thing. I have a I have trepidation about the service thing because you can end up just in service to the state. Like you can end up with a state apparatus that perpetuates itself. Right. Um, I think step one for me would be if you if you make money from any tax dollars, you automatically you lose your right to vote completely. I any agree money. with that. Any money. Yeah. And that includes military, so which a bunch of people will not government? like. But like welfare, yeah. military, corporate, like you work for a corporation that takes government money, bam, you've lost your right to vote. All of it. Wow. Um, yeah. Conflict of interest. I think it's a conflict of interest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because um, you immediately have a vested interest in the perpetuation and expansion of the state, um, whether you admit it or not. Uh, so, and I know conservatives hate it because they want the military voting, but I don't they know. They only I, want the military voting, though, because it's a voting block that votes against the welfare right. queens, <laughs> right. you know, or the, or the SEIU union, or what is that, the, the yeah. government union, right? Um, the teachers union. Like, right. None of them would have the power to vote. If all those people couldn't vote, I think you could agree. I think conservatives could go, yeah, OK, we'll give up this for that. If, yeah. if the people voting are the middle class and the small businessmen and the you know, pe- people who work, the workers, uh, the tax, those are really the, just the taxpayers. Yeah. Uh, the people who pay more in than they get out. Yep. Those people. um uh, yeah, if only they voted, we would not be in this situation. Right, right. And, and so that's because my big fear is there is a tendency for government to just grow. Like people have like it. Bureaucracy is a self-perpetuating yeah. beast and uh, you need some kind of counter to bureaucracy. And I think that's the people who have to pay and get literally nothing out of it. Who are like, all right, well, I don't <laughs> I don't want this. <laughs> I don't want my taxes to go up. And you don't get to say, I know that you get paid through my taxes, but you don't get to decide. And if I don't like what you're doing, you're just going to lose your job. Right. Uh, right. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Then you have an That's incentive my... to make the people happy. Right. So that will never happen. But <laughs> that's my. That's my well, opinion. if we could come, you know, to, to me, that's the same thing as having like a 50 year reset too, where. Um, right. Somehow you, because of because the, the that sort of bureaucracy creep, and law creep, um, yeah, I don't know, but that's yeah. it'd be the problem with revolution is it's bloody and painful. I don't right. want revolution. I don't want civil war. And not always Jeez, the best want, person wins. I mean, right? <laughs> sometimes or, or the mass murderer do, wins. Even if the best people win, you might end up with a dictatorship anyway. <laughs> Because things are volatile and crazy and leaders rise and people are emotional and there's no stability and people want stability. So, yeah, it can be it's a very, very, um, you know, dangerous situation and and just war is dangerous, obviously. So that's not ideal. If you could do a, a revolution without a bloodshed and without an actual war like. Like Jefferson said, some kind of fifty-year reset. But again, these are interesting, interesting problems. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a political scientist. No, I but haven't the, read all the founders. Yeah. I haven't read the Federalist Papers, for example. I, <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't speak to any of this stuff. Well, I mean, I think it it's all presupposes a culture that 
where we're, it's like people are having these discussions with the same goal, which is, hey, we want this, this, this individual rights-based, um, free, like liberty-based country, not, yeah. not like, I really want Marxism. So sure, we should reset, <laughs> press, let's press the reset button, um, which right. is kind of where we are now. Um, do you, right. what do you, do you think, uh, do you think the U.S. Is, can be saved or do you think that there will be states breaking up and there's going to be some sort of balkanization and and the torch will live on, but not in the entire United States? Or, or the torch won't live and we'll just all be speaking Chinese in 30 years. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. I don't know. I heard a really good argument. Well, you know, the problem I see is there seems to be a really good portion of people who are, who don't want America anymore. Um, and while there is a portion of people, there's a large, larger portion of people who do, I think, um, you know, it doesn't take that many to just cause total mayhem, which is what we're sort of seeing the beginning of. Those people are not savable. I don't think, I mean, there's a, percentage of people who are who hate the country think it's evil and that's gonna that's it and they are very upset and they want change so um since i since we have no control over that group i think that we're in for something some kind of civil war or or something where the government has to put down an insurrection Maybe that that would be the best case scenario. The government puts down BLM, Antifa. Anyone who's willing to be violent gets put down. Um, and then we can slowly work on the next generation and changing the culture a little. Yeah. I do think that we're making ground in that area, a lot, a lot of ground. Um, you know, it's pretty cool to be counterculture. Right. And we're counterculture now. Yeah. So we're the cool kids. I've never been a cool kid. Um, there you go. Welcome. <laughs> Took 40 something years. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but so somebody said today um, that he thinks the Democrats are planning to secede post-election. They're setting the ground. Really? Or, because, because this guy came out, Lanny Davis, a, a prominent, prominent Democrat. He's part of that inner circle with Podesta and like the really upper echelons of the, the Democrats. The pedo circle. Can we just say, call that what it is? The pedo circle. <laughs> the pedo. How is it that pedophiles are in gi- <laughs> Anyway, that's a whole other show. Fair. But he said that, um, that he, he, he's an older guy. He's been, he's part of that inner circle. And he said, here's what's going to happen. We're just going to take, we're going to secede. We're going to take, we're going to split. We're going to take California, Oregon, Hawaii. Like part of it was kind of tongue in cheek. Like we get all the best and you guys can have Kansas. You know, it was sort of like that. Like you guys suck. But that he said it and then that these war games were conducted where and then Hillary says, wait, what Biden war games? Concede. Oh, the Podesta war game thing. You didn't hear about that. Mm-mm. There's this. um Nonprofit, of course, that conducted some kind of seminar war game where they went through all these scenarios of like Trump not 
conceding and then the military going in and deposing him and dragging him out and what would work and who do they have? Oh, I did see that. Yeah. Who are the players? And so they, they went through various scenarios knowing the chess pieces that they have. And and I don't know why this, this was made public. So they wanted people to know this, that, you know, they had war gamed sending the military in to drag Trump out of office. Because they want to. They want to paint him as someone who wouldn't leave and because he's a dictator. That's the only reason. Like, Yeah. We had to take it well, so seriously that we ran scenarios because it's such a serious issue. He's such a dictator. Right. Yeah, but th- so what this guy's saying, though, is no, this is actually they're telling you what they're planning. And Hillary said Biden shouldn't concede under any circumstances. And they're going to take the Northeast, the West, you know, and like Minnesota. And like, so... um they think, you know, there's enough people now on that side that uh, they could very well do that. And you have Gavin Newsom is definitely He'd be down. exerting a lot of power out here. Yeah. And he's making deals with China where they're giving him money, uh, giving the state of California money. So not, you know, the federal government, you won't give us money. We'll take money from China then. Yep. Um. So... I could see that happening. And and who would stop them? Donald Trump would have to march the military into all of these states and take over the capitals. Yeah. I Do mean, you think that he would, would be insane. I don't think he would. No, I don't think he would. I would. I mean, look, I, you and I both live in California. But if if they said we're taking both coasts and you guys can have the middle of the country, I'd be like, great. I'm going to rent my U-Haul. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, I mean, I hate it. But on the other hand, yeah, uh, like, wait, you're going to all stay there. That's fine. And by the way, because they're all liberal elitists, I think what they don't understand is that the the middle of our country is one of the most uh, one of the best places for agriculture on the planet because of not only of its uh, the the and climate, oil. but also the uh, the tributaries yeah. to the river, the Mississippi River. And like that, that, that yeah. entire plain is like is one of the best places to um, cause you have access to a deep sea port. You can go all the way down the river to the deep sea port. You can transport goods cheaply and there's lots of fertile agriculture there. Lots of fertile farmland. It's actually strategically an awesome part of the country to have. So, uh, we can just starve them. They're going to have to, they'll have to buy sushi from Japan. I don't know what they'll do. Um, but well, but we know what would happen. It would collapse and then they would either come after our stuff. Yes. Or, or because of the split and the weakening of our country, China would swoop in, and and they, and they would allow China to swoop in to their part of the world. That's true of America. So we'd have China at our doorstep. Um, yeah. There's a really. Do you know who Kurt Schlichter is? I know the name, but I can't place it. He's he's that hard nosed ex military political commentary. He writes for Town Hall, and okay. he's really funny a Trump supporter, but very, uh, just, you know, a lot like Trump. Um, he lives in California. He actually wrote fiction novels fantasizing about this <laughs> that, and it's a me. And I read these books and you know, the first one's a little bit like, he's not a great novelist in the first one. He's okay, but there's problems. But then by the second and third novels, it's actually it's he's good. He, he's learned a lot as he goes. And I really admire people who just 
do stuff and put it out even when it's not perfect yeah. versus objectivists who just work on the same novel for 20 years. Because <laughs> um, <Right. laughs> they're, they're so worried that it's not Atlas Shrugged, um, which I understand, you know, perfectionism. Uh, but so it's amazing how much he got right. It's like or, or how much of this you could see actually happening. And he he starts out the first novel where it's already happened, like the split happened. And it really is those same states. It's the blue, the blue areas versus the red areas. And uh, it's an interesting thought exercise for sure. Yeah. And we might be seeing that. That might, that might happen. And, and he even ends up with China invading. And oh. eventually the red states end up having to just go in and take back the blue because it's too dangerous to let them continue uh, falling apart and allowing foreign enemies to kind of encroach. So. Huh. <laughs> well, if that happens and we have to take the blue states back over, they're not getting a vote. That's just, that's, I'm going to put my foot down on that one. Uh, if we have to save their ass from <laughs> China, like that idea. they're not voting yeah, anymore them. ever. They're done. Screw them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've lost their, they lost their privileges. Um, I, I'm for that now. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, it's, yeah. It's just kind of weird. It's like that's kind of a totalitarian thing to say, I guess, that, all right, I want re-education camps and I want um, – <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whoa. I, I, these people need to be stopped. Yeah, um, well – I don't – you know, we are going to be in – we're going to either be in a war and it's going to be bloody. You know, maybe we have to wait for that because we're the good people, because we're the good guys. Right. We can't start the war ourselves. Right. Yeah. I do. I do know people who have like Pinochet dreams, right? They're like, okay, like I, I, I really know that's bad, but damn these commies! Someone's got to throw them out of helicopters. Like it's got something. Something has to happen here, <laughs> right? Um, well, I just wish, like, I just wish that Trump were actually tougher than he is. Yeah. If he would actually lead the DOJ, if he would actually fire people who aren't doing fire Fauci, you know, fire this Durham guy, we have had no indictments of these obvious criminals that tried to, tried to launch a coup in this country. Right. Um, if he would send the military into Portland and put down this crazy rights violating movement, um, why isn't he doing this stuff? Yeah. He, he has the authority to do it and he's not doing it. And that's within the framework of our rights respecting government. And he's not doing these tough actions. So, um, I mean, people argue that he shouldn't do that stuff, but. Well, at the very least, I mean, I don't, you know, just look at the DOJ and the FBI and CIA and, and frankly, I'd throw the NSA in there. Like, they're all so corruptly deep state fighting against Trump that I don't, heads should be rolling figuratively, uh. Uh, heads should be rolling here, and there's no reason why any of the top brass at any of those agencies is still have has a job. I don't, I don't, even I don't the get generals that. who yeah. have, who have broken law by taking sides should be fired. Yep. Why weren't they fired? Yeah. You know, and and unfortunately, I think he has some people around him that you know he lost Flynn, who was probably a very good person to have around. And he lost him to the deep state. Um, right. And didn't really fight for him. So, didn't fight for him. 
I, if it were me, I would have said, you know, when he's, he's indicted and I've looked at the evidence and I don't think it's true. And I think he should fight it and he's going to stay on. Right. Cause I need this man. Right. And I'm going to pay him to fight it. Yeah. So he doesn't have to mortgage his house or whatever. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Let, let's do, let me do a couple super chats and then I have one last thing I want to ask you about. Um, Pirate Tomsky, thank you, Pirate. He says, in the UK, the NHS is pushing a COVID tracking app big time. I refuse to install it, and I'm being spammed by text message nonstop to install it. Yeah, because what's going to happen eventually is they'll say, well, you don't have to install it, but if your kid, if you if you want your kid to go to school, they've got to prove that they've got the vaccine. If you want to eat at this restaurant, you've got to prove that. You, if you want to shop at this place, you got to prove. If you want to work at this place, you got to prove. Like they'll they can roll it out without making it a legal mandate. They'll just it'll be de facto necessary, not actually. That's how they do it these days. That's yeah. how they do everything these days. Yeah. Joy Hafford says uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. I'm pretty sure both of us will disagree with that, Joy, uh, but. I'm just going to point you to Francisco's money speech in Atlas Shrugged and leave it at that. Uh, I don't know if, if Sonny has anything to say about that one. <laughs> Let's see. Sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think I've got uh, one more. I got to, sorry, part of the show is me scrolling. It's a time-honored tradition where I scroll through chats. But I just want I will say something about that. Okay. I think there are good people. There are more, you know, probably a lot of your listeners are just good people. It's really hard to sort of put your brain into the person of a bad person. A bad person is a bad person. It's not money or right. the fact that there are politics. Like there are politicians who are good people. They're in the same system and they're good. So, you know, and John Adams said, no system survives an immoral populace. Yep. So it's all about being good, right and wrong. And that is that is something that is cultural, and um, you know, so it's not money. It's people aren't motivated by that. You know, the, the Antifa in the street—they're not motivated by money. They're right. they're tearing things down. I mean, are is the guy who's stealing a pair of Nikes motivated by money? Not really. Right. You know. Right. Some people are motivated um, by money. That's true. Right, but. It yeah. is. It, it's an ambition, but at the end of the day, like you said, you'll get your U-Haul and you'll move out of the state. <laughs> right. Like I would, I would. My family is very successful in California. I don't want to leave, right. but if there will come a point where I will morally have to leave, yep, or just give in to being a slave. Right. Get on the box and, car. And what will I do? I will lessen my family's success financially to get the hell out and not say inject my child with a, with a Frankenstein vaccine. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that unfortunately is probably coming. Um, Pirate Tomsky says, you're my cool kid, Carter. Well, I think you're the only one Pirate Tomsky, but I appreciate it. Appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, let's see. I think we're, I think there's a one more while I scroll. Uh, here we go. Another one from Joy Hafford. She says, Sonny, we are making ground. Insurrection Act will come into play to put the anarchists down. Semper Fi. Uh, maybe Joy is a Marine. But, uh, yeah. I wanted to see that. I was critical of Trump when he didn't do that. I, I've heard the arguments. Well, I, what, what, you know, what are I the arguments it. that you've heard that you get? Um, it, it's too hard. If you're, you're in hostile territory, 
Um, it's better to just let them kind of look bad. They've lost a lot of voters as a result of things getting so bad. And they have. It's true. Yeah. But I also think they've been emboldened. They, they are they are not demoralized by losing. They're winning. And I think it looks like they're winning. And I think they're growing. Even though they're losing some people, they're also growing. And and now you're seeing in every city where if you go sit at a, at a cafe, you might get harassed by a roving BLM mob. Yep. That was unthinkable five months ago. Yeah. Um, now they can do that and get away with it and nobody's, nobody's standing up to them. So I, I think the fact that they weren't put down early in Minneapolis, um, and then as it spread to Seattle, whatever, Portland, um, is a bad thing. They should have known from the start, you're not going to get away with this. Yeah. And so, but I've, but the other side says, well, but they are losing support. Um, it's an election year. He shouldn't have done it. If you go in with the military, you've got all this logistics problem. If you're in, if the governor won't work with you, the mayor, then it's it's just really nasty and difficult. Um, but I think we should have done it. We're the most powerful military in the world. We should have done it. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings because part of me maybe this is a little bit of just uh, maybe, maybe there's some like latent nihilism or like <laughs> anger. I'm just kind of like, well, you know what, Portland, Let if this burn. is what you want burn yourselves down. I don't care about you anymore. I've lost, I've, I've lost my empathy for the people in those cities. Mostly not all of yeah. them, but like, I'm like, well, if this is what you're voting for and this is what you're doing and your own mayor and your own, like you're putting these people in charge. Like I, I know there's good people there who are getting hurt and it's not your fault, but move. Um, like it's th- not is- just the good people there though. It's us. Like it's, it's the person in Kansas who ultimately is going to lose because the union falls apart and we're in civil war. Yeah, that's fair. But I kind of feel like that's happening. And maybe I just feel like that's inevitable. <laughs> like, maybe it's inevitable. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm I wrong. Could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't want there to be a civil war, but I, I'm, I've definitely gotten to the point where I'm not sure that there's a peaceful way out of this. Um, yeah. I just don't know what that, I don't know what, there's a mostly peaceful way out of it to use the mainstream media. There's no, there's no peaceful way out. Either we assert ourselves, either this stuff gets put down, these people are arrested, violence is done by our side, force to arrest these people, to root out the money people, the organize, to seize all the funding. Yeah. Um, Either that is done or... Or we will be in a civil war. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. A final thing I want to ask they're you. they're not going to stop. They're not no, gonna they're stop not going to stop. They're violent. Yeah. And, and you know what? Actually, I, you know how we people used to say they're commies. And like I went on this multi-year journey of saying they're not commies technically. And I like read a bunch. Of, I'm still reading. I'm like trying to figure out exactly what they are. But you know what? In essence, they're just commies. Like at the end of the day, it was like yeah, that really gut reaction commies. that they're commies is mostly just accurate. You can just say they're commies. That's basically, yeah. that's basically correct. Yeah. And uh, if you read, there was this great article um, in this publication called First Things. I'm trying to think of the name for a no, second. No, you, you, no, I have it. I, you, I, you made me read it. I mean, you don't know that you made me read it. Yeah. it Suicide of the Liberals. It is right? a fantastic Suicide article. Suicide of the Liberals. 
Yes. And they are just commies because it's the same. Yeah. The same as it was in Russia. The same exact stuff out of their mouths. Yeah. In fact, here, I'm I'm going to put this up. I'm going to put it up so people can see it. uh, Yeah. Here we are over 100, uh, you know, 100 years later and the same exact crap is happening. How many times do we have to try this out? Yeah. It's been 100 years. Yeah. And here we are in America doing it. So if they're not put down, they will, they will get stronger and they will cause a lot of problems. Yeah. I mean, they're already causing problems. No, I totally agree. Yeah. The the, the thing about this article that that you pointed, I mean, just your show pointed me to, uh, he just describes what happens in Russia from basically 1900 to 1917. And it's like reading about today with different uniforms it that's it's the same yeah. it's the same thing and the names are harder to pronounce but it's exactly <laughs> the same thing um and and one i i highlighted a few sentences i really loved this is one that really got me oh i love that sentence yeah, yeah. instead of the pendulum swinging back a metaphor of inevitability that excuses people from taking a stand the killing grew and grew i just i have never that phrase a metaphor of inevitability that excuses people from taking a stand. I've always hated the pendulum argument and I've never been able to articulate so well what I hate about it, but that's what it is. It's a metaphor that makes it sound inevitable and it excuses you from having to take a stand. I love it. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but he's like, he, he talks about the businessmen not seeing it coming. They were part of this. I won't, we won't go through the article, but, uh, he talks about the the culture where everyone kind of knows what everyone else is going to say because there's this, we'll, we'll call it maybe for a lack of a better word, social metaphysicians just kind of looking around to see what I should believe. Uh, what does everyone else think? I'm just going to be woke like everyone else. Um, and he talks about uh, the intelligence or the intelligentsia uh, where everything is political and if if they couldn't discredit, a sci- they discredited scientific theories, not by logic or evidence, but by the calling its implications reactionary. Basically, this isn't co- this this doesn't com- isn't compatible with our political idea, so it's wrong. I.e., two genders. Not woke. Right. It's not woke. It's not woke. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what their word is today, but what is y- it? It's right. Right. <laughs> right. He talks about the hypocrisy, the argument that comes naturally to liberally minded people, liberal minded people. What if the shoe were on the other foot was rejected in principle for an intelligent? There is no other foot. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, it's it's this article. Exactly I won't. I'll stop. I'll stop. But ah, so good. No, so this good. article is full of gems. Yeah. And it, it's important to read because it does break it down and show you this. It's just history repeating. Mm-hmm. It is it is literally Marxism. It's literally the playbook of communists. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, someone someone says Chip says that Rick Moranis of Ghostbusters fame was randomly attacked near Central Park appears to be caught on camera. I guess that's a new development. I didn't haven't paid attention. Uh, is he like not woke or something? I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about him. No, I think he was just, uh, walking and, um, walking was attacked walled. because New York is dangerous now. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's fair. I don't know how much more time you have, but if you've got another minute, I have one more thing I want to ask you about. Okay. 
Uh, I know you you kind of, because you're in California and I've heard you talk about Silicon Valley before, I know you kind of pay attention to Silicon Valley. Valley. Did you see the, first of all, did you see the Coinbase mission statement that Brian Armstrong, their CEO, wrote? I think I did. Re- refresh my memory. Well, he basically said we're not going to be woke. Um, yes. Yeah. It was like this thing you said, not in this in this company, you know, it's too divisive and we're just, yep. we're not going to do it. So yeah. I just want to walk through some stuff that's happened as a result of this with oh, you. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'll, uh, I think you'll appreciate this. So, so he, I'm not going to read his mission statement, it's super long, but he, he, or his article, but Coinbase is a mission focused company. He goes through and basically he says, um, we don't engage in broader social issues. We don't advocate for particular causes, um, even if we agree with stuff. Uh, basically, we're going to be a company focused on doing our thing, right? Um, I want to interpret our mission as an, in a narrow way. It's a big enough goal just to build the financial system that we want. Um, we're not going to debate causes. We're not going to expect the company to represent our beliefs. We're not going to assume negative intent. We're not going to take activism, take on activism, right? Um, I know that many people may not agree. Some employees may resign. I also know that that some of what I've written above will be misinterpreted, whether accidentally or on purpose. So he writes this statement, which is great. It's kind of, you know, I'd prefer it to be we're against this stuff. But, you know, he's running a company and I'm going to stay focused on running the company. That's that's fine. If every company did this, we'd be in a much better place. Absolutely. Right. And this, by the way, this used to be Steve Jobs's philosophy. They didn't give to charity explicitly because he said, I don't want to play those games. Right. I would, if, yeah, I, I don't like when companies give any money to charity because they should just give it back to their employees if they have extra money and the employees can give it to charity and that's fine. That's right. Or their stockholders. I mean, right. Yeah. Or their stockholders. Charity is an individual decision. Right. And once you give to a charity, yeah, it just opens up a lot of crap. And anyway, yep. yep. Did you know that Tim Cook's first act was to change that policy? No, I'm, I didn't. I didn't realize he he had things about him which I would like a lot. But what? No. Tim Cook? No. Yeah. The the day. He oh, took Tim over Cook. Apple I'm sorry. I was thinking of Steve Jobs when you said that. The day oh. Steve Jobs dies, Tim Cook takes over. His very first act as the new head was to change the policy on charity. Oh, so that now they give charity. Oh. And like a week later, he was sitting next to the Obamas at the State of the Union. Yeah, there you go. As much as uh, as much as people didn't like Steve Jobs for various personal reasons, uh, yeah, I miss Too him. Too bad he's not around to still be like this Coinbase guy. I mean, because he yeah. had a huge influence, and really, since he died, Silicon Valley has fallen off the leftist cliff. Yeah, they have. Well, speaking of falling off the leftist cliff, let's take a look at this response, Sonny. You know who Jason Calcanis is? No. I mean, Jason, that rings a bell. Jason is I'm... one of the, probably one of the, the best oh, angel investors. Yeah. So, okay. so first of all, and Paul Graham from- uh, I read y- this post by Dick Custle. Yeah. yeah. So Paul Graham from Y Combinator says, yet again, Brian Armstrong, who's the, who's the Coinbase guy who we just looked at that article. Yet again, Brian Armstrong leads the way. I predict most successful companies will follow Coinbase's lead, if only because those who don't are less likely to succeed. So Dick Costello. Now, Dick Costello, he was the founder of uh, FeedBurner. They were acquired by Google. Then he went to be the COO at Twitter, then became the CEO of Twitter from 2010 to 2015. He's also on the board at Patreon. He's a partner at Index Ventures. He writes... 
This isn't great leadership. It's the abdication of leadership. It's the equivalent of telling your employees to shut up and dribble. So then, we're just going to move on here. Then, Jason Calcana says, hey, most folks want an environment free from today's vitriolic politics. Okay, so Calcanus is sticking his neck out a little bit here. Um, sure, Coinbase will lose base will lose folks who are passionate about politics or social issues, but they'll gain a massive influx of talent that wants to work wants work to be about work and work only. Okay, so Jason maybe doesn't realize what he's stepping in here. Here's Let's Dick's see. response. Mm-hmm. Me first capitalists who think you can separate society from businesses are going to be the first people lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution. I'll happily provide video mm-hmm. commentary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want Kami's to... Kami's going to call me. Kami's going to call me. The fact that he ran Twitter, I guess, shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> but... Uh, Not a shock that we're talking about lining people up against the wall and <laughs> shooting them. Yeah. That's what commies do. Yeah. They, they, That's they're, where all this leads. Yeah, all the, all, the, all, the love, all the brotherly love comes out of the barrel of a gun against you, you know, <laughs> aimed at your head eventually. That's, that's their... That's the commie way. Um, and I yeah. agree. I think Silicon Valley is horribly lost. There's very few people. There are people like Jason who I think is probably, and, and I think Cyan Bannister is another one in Silicon Valley who are naively tweeting like, can't we all just get back to building companies? <laughs> <laughs> and like I, Although I, I don't think that's naive. I, I mean, as mild and milk toasty as those statements are, that takes courage in Silicon Valley. Fair. I mean, <laughs> yeah. even people that I know on the right in Silicon Valley are like shockingly left and they don't even know it. They're just soaking in this yep. fake woke environment. They can't even remember what it's like not to be in it. Yeah. It, it's, it's a so cult. Gross. It's a cult. Um, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, two more super chats and then I think we're done. Pirate Tomsky again says, thanks for, sh- or just for sharing the article. Definitely looking forward to that read. Thanks Sunny for that because I found that through her and it is a phenomenal article. And, uh, Rodzilla says, blue check marks are already asking, what do we do with all these Trump voters after the election? Killing or re-education camps is the implication. They will do it to us in a second, many are advocating totally. for it already. Yeah. Uh, uh, explicitly. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been seeing this for years. And, um, you know, you talked about my video that came out where I did the blackface. Um, I went on some common areas and was interacting with some people who were supporting that video. And I I was interacting with some people and they they literally admitted to me black people that they felt that there was no end to their insatiable need to get revenge basically really accept camps. <laughs> I mean, they admitted it, you know, like we want to be the slave masters white, now, basically that's why. Yeah. That's, they admitted it eventually. Like it took a couple steps. Like when, do, what do you want? You know, right. like if I just would say, what do you guys really want? Like what do you, where do you see this going and what would make you happy what would make you feel like it's done? It's over. Now we can all just move right. on. And, you know, they were admitting back then that, no, it's, it's genocide. When you, yeah, <laughs> it's genocide. Just genocide. I, I know that sounds crazy, but uh, 
Whiteness is violence. You're taking up space from a person of color. I mean, this is the language that they're using. And, you know, it. everybody knows where it leads. So it's creepy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And they're building, they're building the white supremacists because the, I think young white kids who come out and they get presented with this choice of, well, the world will be divided. The world shall be divided and is divided based on race. And we all agree that races are completely different and the most important thing that matter. This side thinks that whites are evil and this side thinks that whites are great. You're going to have white kids be like, well, I guess I'll go I with that I'm side. Over here. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, like I don't hate myself enough to be on that side. So I guess, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, and here is the opportunity for the intellectuals to give intellectual ammunition to a white kid on how to defeat this attitude, this racist yes. stuff. And instead, you know, you have objectivist intellectuals saying, well, I prefer white blindness to white privilege. <laughs> right, right. And right. These grievance mongers actually have a point because systemic racism and it's. Are objectivists like, using the term systemic racism? Uh. I'm not going to say they used that term, but they said essentially the same thing. Oh Greg God. Salmieri did. That, right. that they have a point because there is racism and whites don't see it because they're not they, – they're blind to it because they're white, because they don't live it, and these people are victims. Ugh. That's <laughs> what he said. That's systemic racism. Right. So um, anyway. But – you know, instead, they could be like I've seen you see a lot of video come out of like colleges where uh, white kids are getting bullied for being white and and yep. they don't have the answers. They're trying to be fair. They're they're You know, they don't want to be racist. They're against racism and they're told that they're racist anyway and they don't really have answers. Or You see a crowd of white people listening to somebody tell them that <laughs> and they don't know what to say. And they, you know. Yeah, because they're basically good people who don't want to be racist. Well, they're and using that against giving them. them the, yes, they are using that against them, and and instead, you, you know, let's provide them with the courage to stand up and go, "Screw you! I'm not racist." I guess I can swear on this. I was going to say, "Fuck yeah, yeah. you!" Yeah, uh, I'm not you racist, can... and I won't tolerate this shit. I'm not going to huh. sit in your diversity training. You know, this is wrong. Yep. It's that John Galt moment where he stands up in the crowd of the 20th century motor and he says, I'm not doing this. Right. Not me. Yep. And if more people, more white people just need to resist it, that's it. It's not hard. You don't have to go white supremacist, you know, <laughs> you don't have to join your white tribe. There are plenty of very, I mean, look at the, look at the Republicans. Half the Republicans are people of color now. Yep. There are so, and, and especially the intellectuals, there's yep. so many um, really excellent people of color. I hate even using that term. I Black know, people, I know, me too. Yeah. Mexicans, <laughs> Latinx, um, <laughs> plenty of people who uh, are on the side of color blindness and being a society of, on, of merit and character. So that's what we need to be advocating for. And these people are wrong and they're racist. And all you have to do is stand up and resist it and just not put up with the shit. Don't be passive about it anymore. Yep. You don't have to 
let them call you names. Who cares? They're wrong. Yeah. They're the, and my, my co-host on my podcast says, call them pedophiles. <laughs> they call you a racist, say, what are you, a pedophile? Oh, that's good. <laughs> Just Wait, what do you mean a pedophile? What's sure. that? Like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> sure, a non sequitur ad hominem. That's great. Why yeah. not? It works. That's so, what they're doing. They yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's what they're doing. Uh, yeah, I think it's a... It's an indictment of objectivist organizations that objectivist leaders are losing to Richard Spencer. Yes. Right? But the fact that, like, more people, like, more white kids are going to be like, well, that's that's my defense. I got to go that direction. It's like, yeah. all right. Because <laughs> what objectivism is offering them is compromise with the left and, like, ignoring things you see, like the fact that Silicon Valley is out of control right? and silencing people and they're bad people, but I'm supposed to admire them <laughs> and I'm supposed to, you know, these right. weird, crazy contradictions that go against common sense and, and what you can see with your own eyes. Um, that, and that turns people off to Ayn Rand. Sure. It should. So that's why I'm that's understandable. About it I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because no. I think she has a lot to say. I think, I think she can provide the intellectual ammunition to what's the onslaught, especially the anti-communism stuff that she has produced. Yeah. And yet she's irrelevant in the culture today because her advocates are, are on the left. Yep. I don't think she would be an objectivist today in the sense of like, I don't think she would get along with the objectivists that are today. I don't either. Yeah. So... On that depressing note, um, <laughs> can you remind everyone where they can find you, how they can follow you, yeah. and and all that stuff? Yeah, you can go to Sunny Loman on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can go to House of Sunny on YouTube, houseofsunny.tv. All the links are there. Cool. Well, uh, Sunny, thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, to, it was uh, fun. Nice to, talking to, to you again. guest host today. Uh, it was fun. Yeah, kind of a guest co-host. It was yeah. good. Yeah, it was all good. So, all right. Well, thank you. And uh, we will see everyone on Monday. Take care. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy. So go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com slash donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now, and you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning, this is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please avoid any contact with these individuals. I have calculated a 98.3% chance that their lives do not matter.
If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Play it safe and obey the plutocracy. Nobody likes a hero. Computer voice, Curtis. Never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake. <laughs>